0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Rupa Subramanya show. I am Rupa Subramanya. Now, last weekend, the terrorist group Hamas launched a vicious invasion of Israel, killing, raping, and maiming hundreds of Israeli civilians, many of them women, children, and elders. They rampaged through a music festival and dragged away young people, possibly hundreds or more, according to reports, to use as human shields in the Gaza Strip. Many Israelis see this as their 9-11. The attack took place on the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War, when back in 1973, both Egypt and Syria attacked Israel simultaneously and without warning. These are possibly the worst atrocities committed on Israeli soil since Israel came into being as a sovereign state in 1948. The government of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has launched an all-out counter-attack on Hamas forces holed up in the Gaza Strip and along the border. Palestinian casualties have also been high. It's really hard to see how this region goes back to normal when the dust settles on the present crisis, if it ever does, that is. My views are crystal clear. The state of Israel has every right to defend itself against these heinous terrorist attacks where women, children, and elderly people are raped, mutilated, and murdered, and even paraded on view on social media. It's inhumane and barbaric. There is no justification for this violence. To help me untangle about what's been going on in Israel and where we go from here, I'm joined by Gerald Steinberg. He's a professor of political science at Bar-Ilan University, president of NGO Monitor, a think tank that analyzes what comes out of NGOs, and a noted foreign policy and security expert. I spoke to him at his home in Jerusalem about the unfolding crisis in Israel. Well, uh, welcome to the show, Gerald. Um, First of all, I wanna ask you if you and your family and extended community are safe and and how this brutal Hamas attack has has impacted you and your family.
1: I think everybody that I know knows people who were killed we're kidnapped our immediate family is all safe we have uh, family members that are drafted in the reserve army because this is this really is a, an unprecedented national emergency and there's a full um call up and that obviously that's a problem for those of us who are too old we're helping with grandchildren and doing also volunteer work but we it's a, it's something that I, the word tragedy doesn't even begin to measure uh, and we know, for instance, uh, Canadian one Canadian woman, young woman who was very close to my wife's family from Ottawa, who was being who was kidnapped. Her children were let go, and her uh, young children, and she was kidnapped, and she's somewhere lost, un, unknown whether she's alive even in Gaza, being held by terrorists, and what is really unhuman, brutal, brutal behavior in addition to everything else that we've seen. So, you we you just that's always that on your mind.
0: Uh, you're you're in uh Jerusalem uh right Gerald that's yes. where uh when I last uh, met you I was in Jerusalem um and uh how you know was was Jer- Jerusalem affected by by what happened?
1: First in- information we had first inkling we had that something terrible not even terrible something strange was going on was on Saturday morning Jewish Sabbath also a holiday at about eight o'clock in the morning and we heard sirens now that's been many months since we heard sirens and we're all well practiced we went into the area that's protected in our apartment but that was already a, a warning and then we turned on the radio which is not something we usually do on saturday because we want to know what's going on and then we heard it started to hear slow reports of everything coming in jerusalem has been attacked by hamas missiles uh but maybe on uh, that day, probably half a dozen times, and we had a couple yesterday also. The main military, one of the main military cemeteries was in Jerusalem, and uh, terrorists in Gaza, Palestinian terrorists, were attacking, trying to, to aim at, at that cemetery during the funerals of some of the soldiers who were murdered. And so we're, we're certainly affected. There's a very somber mood. Children were staying over from school. And there's not much going on.
0: Yeah. In other words, what I was trying to uh, uh, um, ask you is: Did did the did the terrorists actually come to the city of Jerusalem? Uh, were were any hostages taken from the city? Did uh, uh, of the type that we saw in, in the rest of the country?
1: If you look at the map, the answer is no. Uh, Israel is really right in the center of the country. And we do get hit by missiles, or at least their missiles aimed at us. Most of them will fall short. The terrorists, and apparently there were some close to 2,000 that broke through the fence and uh, the barrier, the very thin barrier. And there, the massacres, the atrocities took place with an area of, of maybe uh, 20 or 30 kilometers, maybe even less from the border. With Gaza and Jerusalem is considerably further away from that, as is Tel Aviv and the main population centers.
0: Right. So uh, I want to ask you about uh, um, about you know you know you mentioned that they just cut through the fence essentially uh, and. Um, and you know tensions have been simmering for 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 many years now. Um, how did this happen? I mean, everybody everybody's initial reaction was this was a massive failure of Israel's superb intelligence and security establishment. Um, uh, you know what happened here? How you know this was happening right under their nose? You know what? What are your thoughts? What's your view?
1: We're going to have to see the details. There's going to be an independent investigation. It'll be uh, probably conducted by uh, judges that are not part of this political and military system. I can tell you a little bit about what the best guesses are and also what we've seen on the videos to some degree. I'm going to start with a a lulling into a false sense of security and um, not imagining this type of scenario. Israel withdrew, and I'll try not to go into too much history, but the, it, the part of the history is that it's like other wars that we've seen. It's like ISIS. It has lots of bits and pieces put together that uh, they, the, the terrorists in Gaza, it's, a, it's an entirely terrorist-controlled area of about 1.4, 1.2. There's a debate how million people in a small area along the sea to the south of Israel. It's a terrorist entity they've been preparing they've been attempting to attack israel their goal very clearly stated kill all the jews destroy israel that's been the palestinian goal since the creation of israel in 1948 and hamas is the most uh you know, the term militant radical it doesn't even been described the it, 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 it most uh, in terms of palestinian society dedicated to that so israel withdrew militarily thinking That the international community would say, okay, you did a great thing, and we're going to put economic assistance, we're going to help the Palestinians build an economy there, and that'll be the basis for some sort of peace agreement. That was in 2005. Hamas took over, won't go through the details, in 2007 through a military coup that killed the other Palestinians, uh, the PLO people that were actually, uh, the the, um, political leadership of Gaza when Israel transferred when Israel left. So from 2007 to 2023, 16 years, Hamas, which is a terror organization, everybody agrees it's a terror organization, including Canada and Europe, the United States, has been using billions in international aid, diverting, siphoning off, we can go into the details that go out, a lot of naivete, Canada resumed funding under uh, the current government, under the federal government, resumed funding for this United Nations Refugee Works, or uh, Relief Works, I think it's called, Agency UNRWA. Which is, uh, we're going to help the poor Palestinians. What do they do with most of the money? They built these huge networks of tunnels, concrete, so they couldn't be penetrated by, by bombs. And then they started to manufacture missiles. A lot of Iranian aid. So the first thing is that they've been working on this. I'll try to make it short, otherwise I'll be here for an hour and a half just doing the history. No, 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 please, uh, please continue. Uh,
0: No, Gerald, please continue because I mean, these are things that many of our viewers and listeners are not aware of. And so it's brilliant. Please continue. Okay,
1: I'll try to do it in headlines also. Then we can do it. But so this was a terrorist entity that had lots of resources ostensibly to help Humanitarian aid helped build houses, but that was stolen for these. For it was this infrastructure, and for many years the Palestinians tried, the Hamas tried to tunnel, and they did a few times successfully underneath the uh, the barrier. There's a border between Gaza and Israel. Again, there's no Israeli occupation in Gaza; nobody there. And they tried to fly over. They tried to climb over. They tried to tunnel under. Occasionally, they were They would succeed. And this happened time after time, and they built, and they then began to fire missiles. So, in two thousand and in December two thousand and eight, already to January two thousand and nine, we had a three-week war where Israel went in to try to. We got missiles that were fired. There was a kidnapping of an Israeli soldier, killing of others. Israel tried to go in and and respond to that, and it worked for a couple of years. And then we had a. Then of course, Israel was condemned by the United Nations, all sorts of other types of, of uh, what we call the the cult. Of international law and human rights, which is another aspect of this soft power demonization or propaganda. So it happened then, it happened in 2014. Another major Israeli, another Hamas attack started with this huge uh construction of tunnels that Israel mostly caught and exploded, but that led to an Israeli attempt to go in and destroy that whole infrastructure in 2014. And then again in 2021, there were in 2000, even this year, there were some smaller skirmishes of missiles being sent, no, no uh, entry into Gaza itself by ground troops. So we've sort of been playing what was called, um, there were different rounds or cycles that Israel was trying to, it was containment. Israel, the Israeli, the, the, I'd say the entire Israeli military and political establishment, there are a few exceptions actually, said, okay, we can control, we can control this from the outside. We can prevent them from killing our people by occasionally responding, by destroying a few of their tunnels and some of their um, manu- missile manufacturing capabilities. And that gives us a few more years of quiet. From what we see now, and there's a they built this very expensive underground barrier for tunnels. So the Israeli perception was they're going to try to come from the ground, and we've put an end to that. What we saw on Saturday was the first of all a very quick strike on the Israeli intelligence early warning bases right next to Gaza there were a group of israeli trained israeli intelligence officers who watched the fence and were supposed to warn and sound the alert they were killed instantly they were the what we saw was from from the air quadcopters Little drones that you buy on Amazon or wherever else you do, and maybe manufactured by Iran that I we haven't gotten the information. Dropped rocket-propelled grenades, small weapons that exploded and killed in a very short time. There were also apparently um, hang gliders that came over. Terrorists and hang gliders—they've been practicing, but we didn't think that this was going to be put together. Nobody thought about this being put together in a coordinated way. And nobody then expected this to happen. There was no scenario that said, if this happens, this is what we do. And immediately afterwards, just like ISIS, some of you may remember that ISIS ran through Iraq and Syria in pickup trucks, armored pickup trucks with mags and other forms of automatic weapons and and rocket propelled grenades and anti-tank weapons. So they drove through this fence and in a few minutes, they were in the Israeli, the, the Israeli civilian um, areas, the towns, small towns that are 10 minutes, five minutes away from the border. And they just began to kill and massacre. And it, the Israeli, because they, the eyes and ears of the Israeli military intelligence had been killed, nobody knew what was going on. They knew that something bad was happening, but they couldn't respond in a coherent way immediately. And I'll just add one more aspect to this, which is going to be part of the discussion. There were 2000, approximately 2,500 young people, mostly, at a rave, at a dance party, right in that area. It was a Jewish holiday, it was a Saturday, it was a weekend, and they were massacred. They were just massacred. So a significant part of the, the casualties are also from this. They had no, no means of defense at all. The the level of brutality was unimaginable. It should maybe shouldn't have been. We should have seen what was coming from ISIS and knew that there were these connections, but we didn't.
0: Yeah. No, it's, uh, I mean, this morning I woke up to the news that um, 40 babies had been beheaded uh, at one of the, uh, uh, I think at one of the uh, kibbutzes. Yes. Uh, it, it was mm-hmm. just uh, horrific. I mean, it. Uh, the brutality is just, um, yeah, it's terrifying. Um, I mean thanks for laying that out I mean so basically the, the people who were supposed to, were the border just uh, you know they were they were killed instantly but there was was there no mechanism in place that would have alerted uh, other soldiers at the border that something is up something's going on here how do you not anticipate these drones and things that are flying overhead like how do you not see that i mean
1: Rupa, that's the that's the one of the core questions that's going to have to be investigated today. Whether there were some people are now saying that there were early warnings, early meaning over the last few weeks and months. The problem is that you have a warning every day, every week, and you then you send troops immediately to deal with it. And you you tell everybody to go in the shelters, and then you become basically um, immune. You become overconfident okay it's just another one of these examples of being uh, lulled into complacency so it, 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 we're not going to these people are not going to be, be brought back to life we're not going to turn back the clock the most we can do is learn the lessons one of the lessons and maybe that's where you want to go next is where we go from here but one of the lessons is the dismantling of every terror capability aspect element in gaza since 2005 every israeli government every israeli military official that i know of that we've seen on the record said we should not go back into gaza it's a for us for israelis it's a trap they'll kill off the soldiers as they were doing before 2005 one at the time we don't have a good way of controlling it or will be accused of war crimes the the world including the canadian ambassador in israel who follows now the sort of uh european slogans and myths of israel's always guilty will condemn us um we don't want to do that so we're going to back off i I added the canadian part of course that wasn't true in 2005 but it's i'm just because we're talking to a canadian audience if there's something needs to be looked at more carefully the the way this automatic condemnation but it has its impact so Now that's going to change, as every Israeli official, even in the opposition, and we're going to have a unity government any day now, has said what was before in Gaza is not going to be returning. There's not going to be any humanitarian aid provided that doesn't get carefully checked by Israelis. You're not going to have convoys sent by the UN, sent by all sorts of donor agencies where these kinds of weapons can be easily smuggled in. And we say, oh, you checked it, good, we'll believe you. We're not going to have that type of a flow. That's not going to be possible. I don't know that Hamas is going to be dismantled, but it's going to certainly suffer some very severe losses and weakening, as we're already seeing today. But they may not survive. And I cannot imagine any situation where Israel will allow them to have any kind of military capability. I don't know how that's going to be done long term.
0: Yeah, given given uh, Iran and... Hezbollah and um, all of these other unsavory characters, um, uh, you know, uh, how, how, you know, I just wonder what the end game here is. Um... There
1: is no end game yet. Uh, I think it's important that you, you talked about Iran and Hezbollah because they're big players. I think that's another aspect. We knew and we had reports and we did studies and I was part of this process of Iranian cooperation, Iranian involvement, Iranian training for Hamas. We, of course, know that in the north, in Lebanon, it's basically a country that's run by an Iranian terrorist proxy, Hezbollah, which has a lot more missiles, a lot more um, terrorist capabilities. But the combination of the three was now we've seen it. And somebody recently, somebody today wrote a piece that said this is the first Israel-Iranian war. And they may be right. It may be an appropriate phrase. So we're going to have to, the end game is going to have to start with Iran. We've avoided a direct confrontation with Iran for 40 years since the Iranian revolution. It's always done through proxies. That may change. We've avoided direct confrontation with Hezbollah that may change. We are now having the right confrontation with Hezbollah, with Hamas. It's going to be costly for Israel, but we have no choice. There's no better strategy.
0: And Iran, if I'm not mistaken, has nuclear capabilities, right?
1: I'm a little more cautious with that. Iran is on right on that. That's a, also a major factor. The whole there's a whole Iran cloud here of, of issues. Maybe that's not the right term. Uh, series of issues in terms of iran's capabilities but also iranian vulnerability so on the nuclear issue yes the governments of the world the united states and europe certainly have essentially told iran well we'll sort of close our eyes as you continue to generate uranium uh, iran has a significant amount enough enriched uranium at a high enough level To make a bomb or two i'm not convinced that they can operationalize that that's not that easy and if iran can be stopped here or even pushed back they're not past they're not at north korea stage at all yet but if we leave it alone for six months or a year they will be that's something that i'm sure is part of the discussion in the israeli government with the american governments particularly what do we do about this because what we've been doing up until now hasn't worked.
0: Yeah, well, that's that was going to be my next question. The idea that Hamas can be uh, penned up in the Gaza Strip and uh, neutered uh, clearly seems to have failed here. The, I believe there are more than two million people who live in that area. Um, even I imagine now, even people who are not directly part of uh, um, part of Hamas um, have no doubt been radicalized. Uh, and, you know, I've seen some interviews where even the average person in the Gaza Strip expresses solidarity with Hamas. Um, how does one deal with that? I and mean, where does that end?
1: Let's first of all be a little bit careful. If you're in a terrorist state and somebody puts a microphone and a camera in front of you and says, well, What do you think about this? Are you going to say, Hey, I don't really want to identify with these brutal, Killers. I don't really want to suffer the consequences. I don't want to live in poverty because they're stealing all the aid instead of building our houses, building jobs. I'm not saying that it's a very widespread sentiment. There are a lot of people trying to leave Gaza, not successfully because Hamas doesn't want them to leave. This human it's like a massive human shield. The numbers that I see are about 1.4 million, maybe. Residents and perhaps less because of significant uh, departures through the sea through Egypt in the last few years. But let's say somewhere around that. I, I'll settle for 1. 1.4 or 1. 1.5 million. It's still a huge number. And there have been proposals for international oversight. I'm not, I don't have any ideas about it. And Israelis have been pulling out their hair a little bit worse than that israel occupied Gaza from 1967 to 2005. that didn't work and we're not going to be able to reimpose that type of system but something else has to be developed and and maybe there'll be some if there's an international force that can be relied upon to prevent to preserve security i don't believe in that i don't haven't seen it but maybe something will be put together not un-based but maybe a coalition of the willing a possibility. Uh, it's It's a huge dilemma. What we can't do is go back to where we were before and allow yet another ISIS-type attack, just like in Iraq and Syria. If ISIS raises its head again, they got to be attacked. And that's, that's still the policy of the United States and other countries, and that will be the policy of Israel. So I don't see, and I think it's premature to talk about an end state. Um, maybe I'll just add one more thing. What we hear about now, which seems to me the, the the framework, it's a, in rough terms, is somewhere between a two- and three-month period where, first of all, what we see now, where there's as much elimination, destruction of the terrorist infrastructure from the air as possible in Gaza, followed by a major ground offensive to destroy what can't be destroyed from the air, and that's mainly those concrete-lined Kilometers of underground tunnels that uh, Israel's tried to destroy from the air previously and probably needs to be done from the ground, plus all the, the missile storage areas, and perhaps also um, taking as many of the Hamas leadership into um, captivity or worse for them. That also depends on how the hostage, whole hostage issue gets resolved, which perhaps we'll talk about too. So, and then the third month is to establish some sort of a, um, a long term framework where most of the Israeli troops can be withdrawn. Maybe an alternative government in Gaza, something that that's what we talked about before, maybe involving some sort of international coalition. It's hard to, to see how this is going to develop, but it's that that's the, the discussions that are being held in Israel.
0: Yeah, um, critics of Israel will say, well, there's look, this context and history going back to the creation of the state of Israel in 1948, and, and all of the various conflicts with um, its Arab neighbors. Um, they'll also point to the um, the creation of the settlements uh, and 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 blockades by land, sea, and air of the Gaza Strip, not only by Israel but also by Egypt. Um, you know, what do you say to people who, uh, to critics of, um, uh, you know, who, who pin the blame on Israeli policy um, and that this is basically an outcome of mistakes that perhaps Netanyahu made, um, you know, as a as, uh, as prime minister?
1: First of all, I divide up these critics into different groups and each one has a different approach in terms of response. To some degree, the first group are, let's take the easy ones, or not easy, but the ones who just don't know. They don't know the history, they don't know the details, they see some headlines, they listen to some propagandists, it's all Israel's fault, Netanyahu, whatever. So you educate, you try to educate, and that's hard. It's hard because in in mainstream media, to 90% CBC, Globe and Mail, Uh, New York Times, BBC, there's what we call the Palestinian victimization narrative. What they don't tell you is that the Palestinian society, going back to 1948, supported by the United Nations, this is organization, UNRWA, which has a budget of 1.1 or 1.2 billion U.S. dollars a year, which teaches? They do education. They do all sorts of other things. Where do they educate? Because these are all defined. Palestinians are still see themselves and defi- and are defined by under and the UN as refugees from 1948. There are very few refugees still alive from 1948 from a terrible war which they started, and which they have never said end of war. We accept Israel. We want a two-state solution. We all hear all this noise about a two-state solution. It comes out of standard Canadian talking point from the Trudeau government, from the global affairs, from ambassadors. Palestinians never talk about a two-state solution. It's a myth. It's a slogan. They don't see Palestinians as having agency. They don't listen to what they have to say, what they teach their children. So first thing I say is, if you can find or Israel has to deal with a situation where you have not just in Gaza, but in West Bank, you have a Palestinian population, four or five million people total. who have never accepted the legitimacy of Israel, whose only goal is to erase Israel from the map, to slaughter, to kill, to evict. And we're in a population over nine, close to 10 million people. That's not going to happen. And we had a terrible tragedy lost maybe two thousand people but we're not going to disappear so and, and i want to add that other point because i think it's really important i mean many i've had many conversations with diplomats around the western diplomats including in global affairs and every time i go to ottawa and the pearson building or i talk to the ones here and whatever for many of them i accept from this list people like norman specter who really do understand it when they just don't pay any they don't know anything about the palestinian society they don't know anything about they don't say to palestinians look we we'd like to help you we are helping you but you cannot continue to expect demand prepare attack to destroy israel that's not an acceptable basis for anything Uh, canadians with all due respect are small players europeans which provide a lot more aid and, and are really the best friends of the Palestinians, absolutely don't want to deal with it, refuse to deal with it, refuse to recognize this. So it goes back to your question. I said that two groups, a few groups. The first group is those that can be educated. We really have to emphasize this. Palestinians have to change. Yes, that comes to the second group. Or I'll add to this. The constituents, Israelis see this all the time. And that's why in Israeli elections, what's called the Israeli left, the Israeli peace camp. After the Oslo agreements blew up on our faces, we had one that seems we were totally stunned by the fact that 1,100 Israelis were murdered in mass bus bombings and other mass bombings, what we call Arafat's War, and Palestinians call the Second Intifada. And that was after the Oslo Peace Accords, where there were no new settlements. There was a plan to go towards... The idea was some sort of a, it was a formal but a two state solution based on this initial agreement establishing a Palestinian authority, bringing Arafat back to Gaza, and then later on in Ramallah, Palestinian capital, Palestinian economy, Israeli withdrawal from large parts of what they called Palestine. That was all used to prepare for this other for the for that terror round of, of mass terror. So from an israeli perspective realistically as much as people might want to have peace there's no no horizon and therefore getting back to your question i tend to i'm an academic i go around then i'll try to come more directly that what happened was that the relatively small fringe israeli settlement movement what's called the far right became more had had greater influence so they're a small part of the current government's but they're necessary in order to have a majority. It's like the NDP is in the the with for the Liberals. They still have a, an effect. So yes, the Israeli settlements have not indicated an Israeli um, objective of a two-state solution. But the Israelis said, "Well, there is no Palestinian constituency for a two-state solution. So why should we bother?" That also has to change. But first, or or concomitantly, we have to see. What we haven't seen for 75 years and that is a change in the palestinian approach uh, or understanding of israel and a willingness to compromise the second group of people i don't argue with and those are the people who are core israel haters anti-semites sometimes we use that phrase there should be no jewish state for all sorts of reasons anti-zionist is sometimes used Jews don't have a right to self-determination of any kind, regardless of borders, in their homeland. And I include in that the officials, organizations, and members of groups like and supporters of Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch and a whole range of people who demonstrate death to the Jews, death to Israel, whether it's a semi-dune organized event from Vancouver or in streets of Toronto, other places i mean there's a terrible event in, in sydney with those type of slogans
0: oh yes gas so, the jews uh yeah. terrible We're, yeah but
1: and for those people i don't think there's any kind of rational discussion that can be held they're off the, off the charts in terms of uh hate so i invest more and i think that's why i write and do podcasts and other things because the, the, I think it, it, we have failed. When I, I say this also to my Israeli colleagues, my friends in, in other countries, Canada, elsewhere, we have failed to, to build an educational structure that reaches out and, and gets these. We 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 tend too much to go to the easy targets and not to the core issues, and say, okay, you want to talk about all these, but let's first talk about show me where the Palestinian. Let's talk about Palestinian compromise as part of the basis how do we get the palestinians to engage it was easier 10 15 years ago if palestinians would have stepped forward when israel withdrew from gaza when israel signed the oslo accords there would have been we know all the polls showed so election results israelis voted for governments that wanted to reach peace agreements but you don't have that constituency now okay long answer
0: I wanted to thank you for joining us for what obviously is an incredible difficult time for you for all uh, Israelis and uh, friends of Israel all around the world including uh, folks like me and uh, other people here in Canada I, I really appreciate you coming on the show to speak to us to our um, and share your insights and um, and uh, I hope you stay safe and uh, and I hope to see you again in Jerusalem sometime soon
1: Rupa, I was going to end with exactly that, uh, that, that <laughs> sentiment, that, that wish. So hope for better times. As we all say to each other, we pass each other on the streets or on the phone. And you know, hoping to see you.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll say and everybody I, stay safe. And I really want to bring you back again uh, to talk about how the situation's going to evolve in the next few weeks. So if, if that's okay with you, I'll reach out to you. And uh, I would really appreciate that for to- for a longer conversation.
1: Good to talk to you again.
0: Okay, perfect. Thank you.